Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Caster Calls with Zombie Grub. Episode 52, actually, but this might be a familiar face. This is the first time that I'm doing a part two, and it is with none other than DJ Wheat. So thank you very much for coming on once again. We had a great talk about your life in esports, you know, the the decades of it, I suppose, as well as some of the uh, behind the scenes stuff. And I just was very eager to, to hear more, especially about the StarCraft era, uh, very selfishly, but there it is. So... <laughs> Thank you uh, very much for coming on, and I'm yeah. excited to get started. Yeah, my 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 pleasure. Great to great to be back. So thanks for having me again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we talked kind of a little bit about some of the early days, but uh, you mentioned that you just had like a lot more to to talk about as far as how StarCraft grew and developed. Um, so we're really just going to focus on the years that you were in StarCraft. I figured that'd be a nice like uh, time frame, basically, just from the sure. year. Well, actually, because I, I, I guess, did you ever do any Brood War? I forget. Um, I, you know, I, I dabbled. Hmm. Um, I mostly ended up doing Brood War because, um, right, there there just weren't as many casters back then. And I think we talked a little bit about how uh, sort of got tasteless to kind of join Radio ITG inside the game. And, um, you know, during the time, there were a few events where tasteless was kind of you know, casting out of his mind and like just doing it by himself. And so after a while it was like, Hey, you know, Nick, I don't know. I, I know just enough to ask, I think good questions to make you seem like the, the smartest Starcraft player. Like, can I, can I at least be your, your wingman? And uh, of course he was like, yes, absolutely. And that's how I, that's how I approached it. Right. It was like, I don't, I don't know much about strategy. I know pretty much what units are or right? uh, basic gameplay mechanics, but I would sort of use the opportunity of sitting next to Nick as a way to learn how to cast it myself. So, uh, you know, why would a player do that? Or, or why did he choose not to rush there? Why did he uh, decide not to go through it? Right. And uh, for me, that was a really great experience. So hopefully that answers it. I would say, sort of kind of but never as like a lead right usually as a as a as an assist right yeah so that was i mean we're talking like 2007 yeah i want to say that uh let's see 2006 i know that we casted together in uh um monza italy for the world cyber games and i want to say i recall casting with him in 2000 and um eight in or maybe that was seven in seattle so it was definitely during world cyber games that i did um uh, most of my brood or casting with nick so um uh don't go look for those archives please for the love of god uh, but yeah it was it was in that early area like really as live streaming was just kind of hitting the scene mm-hmm Okay. Yeah. So a little bit prior to StarCraft two and the and the birth yeah. of Justin TV and Twitch.tv. Um and then into I guess like your years doing all the MLGs and IMs and all that before you uh I guess prioritized more in the work on Twitch. I kind of forget exactly how it came to be. Um, but I'm sure we'll we'll get into it maybe uh chronologically and <laughs> keep it simple. Sure. Um, so, so brood war, you were dabbling a little bit, you're doing a ton of other games as well, and then StarCraft two was on the horizon. Uh what was 
yeah, what was that a couple of first events like? Because I know one of the most inf- infamous events that I didn't go to, despite living near it, was Washington, D.C., Yeah, um, one of the first MLGs, and people made fun of it because it didn't have chairs, was the thing that I yes. know about it. <laughs> yes, it's true. They had those really uncomfortable metal benches. They were <laughs> They looked bad on camera. They were uncomfortable to sit on. Um, and really it was because Starcraft two at MLG at the time, um, was, it was kind of being tested per se, right? I think MLG, they had their PC circuit. They'd done a little bit with world of Warcraft and then Starcraft two hit. They clearly saw the popularity, uh, of the game and its potential. And so it's sort of, it was the side stage, which on one hand was kind of like, what the hell? Like StarCraft two is getting the side stage. But on the other hand, I think everyone was just genuinely excited that it was getting a chance. Now I do have to back up just a little bit because my interest in, in StarCraft two actually came from uh BlizzCon in which, you know, I, I did cast with Artosis and tasteless and uh, I cast with bunny Kim Fawn and Warcraft three and go back and forth. Um, but at the BlizzCon where they announced StarCraft two, Um, I got to sort of be that person that I mentioned earlier that I was to Nick where, uh, Dustin and, um, and Rob, um, he, they, they did a exhibition match in Starcraft two. And I just remember being not only so amazed at this game that I had seen over the years was this, in this new beautiful engine and here's these new units and these stalkers that can blink and, oh my God, it's going to change everything. Um, and so that was really where I think, um, my relationship with Starcraft like evolved to go, oh my gosh, this is going to be, this is going to be my next favorite game. Like everything about it was just speaking to me. Um, and so it kind of started there and then, yeah, it, and then of course went into the, the MLG era. Right. Okay. No, that's great to start, you know, where, where it actually started. Um, but I, you know, you brought up something and I, I, I'm. I remember a question I'd love to ask people. Um, did, did you ever experience any of the Brood War elitism? Did, like how much did you talk to the people who were really into Brood War? Or maybe even some Warcraft people who also hated Starcraft too. I don't know. Um, and did that ever become like a serious conversation between you and some of the other guys? Did you get uh, affected <laughs> mentally about the opinion of Starcraft too? Um, no, not at, not at all. In fact, I was probably one of the advocates on the side of, you know, Hey, brood war was always going to be brood war and always going to be amazing and always going to have like strong memories and feelings that it invokes for a lot of people. But imagine a world where a new version comes out, right. And it, in a time, which arguably a lot of people are looking at brood war graphics and being like, what are you playing here? Right. It, but there's the same thing that I dealt with in like quake and counter-strike 1.6. So that that didn't bother me that much. But to me, it was exciting to think about a new era where the accessibility for a game that so many people have loved and probably so many more people would fall in love with um, would, you know, it, it would be expanded. It would be a new horizon. Um, now, the one time I do feel like I experienced a little bit of uh, a brood war elitism, which is also okay. Like I, I respected it, but I remember at one of the events that I spoke to earlier, one of, I think WCG Seattle. Um, and, uh, I recall casting alongside Nick and, uh, I think at the time 
team liquid started coming up a little bit. And so that was probably when I made my team liquid account and like learned a little bit about that community. And, you know, frankly, on one hand, um, I was so, I was actually so impressed with the site and the way that the community, how involved they were, you know, at this point I'm getting like the full tour from tasteless. She's like, yeah, look at, I can watch some like VODs from yesterday that just got posted. And these are like impossible to find. Like you got to be on the end and like people posting blogs, but I generally felt like, wow, this is a really healthy community. And the one thing that is true across the board is that so many of these folks are passionate. Now, as you can imagine, got a little bit of like, who's this idiot casting with tasteless? And like, of course we know what this stuff does. Why is he asking questions? Thankfully, a few of the Brood War elite also were like, hey, listen, don't sit here and bitch about the scene not growing and then not accept someone coming in and wanting to broaden that scene. Like this person probably has some fans, right? Maybe Quake players get interested in. I was like, you know what? You're the real, you're the real champs. Like that was that because we still see this happening in gaming today. And the fact that someone was able to stop down to me, it just showed a lot of the some people might be like, wait, are we talking about the same team liquid? But I think that there's a lot of positive discord that took place on team liquid for many, many years. Like, yes, of course you have your like trolling and rivalries and this and that and bickering and whatnot. But I, I always felt like there was a level of respect that everyone kind of gave to one another just kind of because you were there and you are participating. So that was the only time I think I ever kind of <laughs> experienced that. But at the same time, uh, the same amount of people who are like, no, this is, this is good, right? It's, it, it's telling us that more people are taking an interest in the game and the community. Yeah, that is good. I feel like I saw a decent amount of that as well. in My early days, I was actually too afraid to join team liquid around <laughs> 2011 I think I only joined around 2012, even though I was reading the forums and stuff. Um, <laughs> official lurker, official lurker. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was legitimately intimidated because it seemed like everyone, everyone knew so much, and then everyone was really quite harsh when it came to stepping out of bounds. Right. Uh, you know, as far as like the internet uh, uh, courtesy. Um, anyways, it it just was a little intimidating. So. Yeah, I, I very much kept to myself for Team Liquid. Anyways, I did see the same thing. People would just bash on anything related to starcraft 2 and then uh be brood war fans obviously and then the brood war fans would come over and be like this is really pointless so that that was really nice yeah. um to see the defenders and the acknowledgers of you know it's time to move on type of situation right right but he, you know one of my favorite things to bring up is that i was doing research for one of my starcraft history videos and just coincidentally i was deep into like a page 57 of you know brood war fans talking about starcraft 2 and there's yeah. tasteless uh, saying that multi-building selection is going to be a detriment. It's not going to work out in StarCraft. And I was oh. like, oh, piece of <laughs> That's awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was very fun. Um, and obviously, they did a great job kind of embracing StarCraft too, uh, yeah. as well. Because we, we do know at this, especially at this point, them getting back into Brood War, that that is their first love. And that's, you know, no, no shade or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but they... I, it, Oh, go so ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was I was gonna <laughs> say like one of the one of the awesome things about it is like it, yes, of course people are going to have those you know conversations and and it's almost gonna be doom and gloom, right? You're taking something that's beloved. It's like I'm bound to screw it up somehow. Uh, but the other part that I think no one could have predicted 
was sort of what it was going to mean for the scene, right? It was going to mean that this legacy that had been built for years, uh, what, almost 12 years at the point of release, that suddenly that was going to come into play and add a layer to this game that a lot of games will never, ever see because they won't have a successful sequel like StarCraft II. So, you know, the building of the storylines of like, here's the North American players and then now Canada's in it and then all the Euros are play. Oh, sh like the Koreans are coming on the scene. And, <laughs> and like the unfolding of that in and of itself almost made, I think, a lot of people go, you know what? Who, who cares about this stuff? Like what's happening is pretty cool. And this is awesome because these are players that I grew up with or that I know, and here's a new player. Can they do anything? And I don't think that anyone was in a space. And I don't know, you read this thread. So maybe someone was like, <laughs> Hey, think about it this way. But I think everyone was so focused on the gameplay, right? Losing a piece of the game that they loved that they weren't actually thinking about what this meant for the legacy of StarCraft mm -hmm. overall, especially from a competitive perspective. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone was because this is really a new conversation, right? Like it, it is awesome being a part of the StarCraft community because it really did have so many, you know, moments in, in esports history. Yeah. Um, it really was tied directly to esports history for, for so long. Um, but that includes Brood War too, which obviously at the time, nothing was close to it. You know, it it was a country's esport. It, right, just undeniable. It's it's very different. Um, but what's interesting, what the point I was going to bring up about Tasteless is that what's really nice about them is that they did their best to basically embrace it. All right, like mm -hmm. all the you know trolling and chat and and subreddits and whatnot about them not having any any passion, whatever. They embraced StarCraft too on oh, yeah. on camera. They they were happy when six Marines split two directions, and they were like, "Whoa, man." whoa and this is 2010 and i actually really respect them for that because as much as i am not a brood war elitist i do like brood war and i but i like starcraft 2 better but when you compare 2010's brood war to 2010's starcraft 2 they are massively different right you're talking about a perfected game versus a babby game uh, did you ever have those conversations or those moments because you did cast a little bit of brood war where you were like StarCraft 2 isn't there yet, you know, like we haven't even seen what we're going to see in a year or two or three years. I mean, in some regards, it was a forced function because of the way that Blizzard chose to release StarCraft. So you knew that no matter what was happening in Wings of Liberty, like that was inevitably going to change because there were two additional, uh, you know, versions that were that were coming out. Um, so I do think that a lot of conversation took place in terms of, you know, all of these little things that were discovered, uh, you know, the way to get carriers out faster and, and, you know, like the, the way that you group, uh, with, you know, your mutilist with an overlord, like all these things that were discovered, right. Somewhat as a nuance of the game itself. Um, but then that also meant like strategy and, and styles of play and even the way that map, metas evolved and changed so yeah i think there was inevitably this this feeling of this is just the beginning and honestly if starcraft 2 delivers on any of that evolution that brood war did 
that's gonna be a good thing right um mm -hmm. so i i think in some ways it, a lot of the evolution early on just came from a player style perspective right when when uh north america was pretty much just fighting against north america that that was one thing but then lingering in the shadows everyone knew well it's going to be really interesting when like the rest of the world gets in on that so there was that natural player evolution what are those styles going to be uh a, obviously a lot of arguments over what what race is the most op and you know and all, all the things in between like why is steps of war even in the map pool this is ridiculous <laughs> you know um and that's of course like every esport whether you're brood war or starcraft 2 coming off a of brood war or, you know counter-strike like you need time to get those good maps out and and for players to develop strategies and and for theory crafting to happen so um yeah i i i was very long-winded in that answer Jess. i apologize but i think the point being is that everyone uh i think knew kind of when that first set of competition started even back in beta that there was something special here and it didn't matter what someone thought between brood war or starcraft 2 that right like this is the status quo and this is pretty great for starcraft in general yeah, there is some, it felt like every cast, there was something amazing that was happening that now we look back on, uh, I've watched some 2010 VODs and it's, it's laughable <laughs> that someone got excited about it, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's so fun to go back and watch them, but it is even funnier to listen to the commentary, right? The first time that someone like, you know, made faster mutas like fruit dealer to combat the high ground tank on that one terrible map minds were blown right, um, right you know the first time banelings used against uh, uh thor's uh, artosis mind was blown um so like it's funny listening to all those things we had kind of the reverse brood war uh muta trick where people eventually figured out magic boxing which right. was awesome uh like it, it is so much and there's still like we're still finding the bugs too we're getting into that stage of our lifetime in starcraft 2 where we're finding the really small bugs you know yeah uh but you know it's in i, I Go gotta say before we move on there's something so great about the innocence that you just talked about, right? Like mm. that, that there was a time in which, you know, in my experience, like MMA blows up his own command set. Like it just, it just doesn't happen anymore. You know, I don't know why that happened. I don't know what these things like mistakes are certainly made, but there was a certain innocence and I think overall excitement during that period because everything that was happening was you know it was new it was it was fresh it was a redefining of the scene and even today right i would say that there's some freshness in like new players that kind of you know are working their way up and and represent the new blood in starcraft 2 but um you know that that's a hard era to recapture right and so mm. i think for me personally it does resonate as like a uh you know an exciting era um just because a lot of what was happening was new. A lot of it was already in the game. It was just people hadn't used it yet. You know, like how long was hallucination in the game before Huck decided, oh, let me see if this, this works. Right. And, and we're like, mind games, unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But right. The innocence there is, is, is great uh, because mm -hmm. I don't think that sort of thing happens anymore, but it can only happen at like that unique period of a game's life. Yeah. Anyway, the expansions also gave the same feeling too, uh -huh. actually. Um, and there's something really fun about feeling like you're on level with some of the pros because they also don't know what's happening. Like if you were right. the first one to figure out that Zerg was super imbalanced, you could actually abuse that, right. <laughs> um, which it was in the beginning of Legacy of the Void. Anyways, um, you know, 
saying at the beginning of StarCraft II in general, though. So, you know, I could ask you a lot of questions about, like, did you ever contact them about the balance or, you know, about the um, the gameplay? But what I'm really interested in from your perspective is the, the broadcasting quality that increased, right? So we kind of came in with Twitch, the idea that esports could be widely broadcast to the, the internet as well as the people in the in the venue mm-hmm. and what we first came with uh broadcasting wise uh, replay wise was a beautiful default overlay that had oh. no space <laughs> yeah did did you have a lot of conversations around that uh coming in as kind of like the broadcaster of the group not just the starcraft nerd of the group um there definitely were a lot of conversations about uh access to information right mm-hmm. and that like from a spectator perspective there is a lot of information that is not visible or needs to be from a broadcaster or caster perspective there's a lot of information that they want and uh, i think this did sort of naturally happen you know there's always again this this sort of exploration period of like where's the best place to put the scoreboard where's the best place like should we should we try to use the in-game uh uh supply numbers or should we re put that up because we have to remember too i my first starcraft 2 game that i ever broadcast over the internet was four by three it looked like you were watching it on a 19 inch tube television you couldn't read anything you got a pretty good idea of like i know what unit that is i know what unit that is i know who's red i know who's blue let's go um but right even back then uh, we had such a massive technology shift between 2009 and 2011 when suddenly we went from four by three to 16 by nine and the bit rates went up, et cetera. So a lot of my focus was actually on like the technical back end of like, how can we push the quality? Because there was so much information that needed to be seen. And if you couldn't read that information, it was harder to uh, enjoy the game. Thankfully, on like the Blizzard side with like the spectator UI, um, you know, it wasn't just casters who were getting in on that conversation. Reddit was getting in on it. Team Liquid was getting in on it. And I think that that was really a solid collective effort. I think the tournament organizers were, you know, wanted a better solution. Uh, obviously, all the spectators did. So I I don't know you know where that that credit actually lies, but I feel like it was something everyone talked about, right? And mm. and what what better audience than to listen to than the spectators, the players, the tournament organizers, the broadcasters to say like it's just everyone that wants to take your game and share it to the world, uh, right? And make them happy, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a good path. So, mm. um. I did not talk to them ever about balance. I like to be the uh, con- conductor of those or of those conversations, but never quite felt um, right. Like I was qualified from a uh, game understanding <laughs> perspective. Uh, I can, I was happy to give my opinion at any time, but um, I think I represented at the time, like a, uh, a casual player from a skill level, but like super passionate and just wanted to, you know, wanted to play more. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to get back to that a little bit. Um, but I wanted to stay on the, like talking with developers section. Mm-hmm. 
when did when did if they did when did Blizzard start to talk with you guys? Because when I came in, they started to have summits uh, about every year, and that was around 2014. I remember the first one I was invited to. Anyways, was that happening before, or were they just uh, chatting you up on whatever aim? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not <laughs> official summits per se. There were definitely times when I think it, at really early on it was players, and that was probably the right decision, right? I I think still if you imagine. Imagine during the development of StarCraft 2, live streaming hadn't quite like broken through the barrier yet. So it was there. It's an emerging technology. But I, I, I actually do not think that Blizzard was thinking our numbers too small to be seen on four by three at 500 kilobits a second. And, and understandably so, right? I don't hold them. Uh, I don't, I don't hold anything against them for, for not identifying that, but I do think that it was something they, they quickly got. So I, I think that when the major tournaments started to get 10, 20,000 people as like the Twitch viewership started to increase, that's probably the moment in which, those conversations became less surface and much deeper. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when, you know, we started talking to Blizzard, uh, what, what were those conversations like, like, did you guys actually have discussions around like the casting crew, the tournament organizers, or was it more just like a, Hey, we're trying out this new thing. Okay. See you later. Yeah. I, I think for me personally, it was a little bit more, uh, either I was talking with alongside tournament organizers or in a one on one capacity. Um, I wasn't as involved, I think. And, and as things went on, yes, I think more players, more, uh, you know, commentators, et cetera, got involved, uh, more feedback was gathered, but, I, I felt like, um, you know, going into some of the latter years in, in 2011, like, you know, we let things like inside the game speak for, right, the kind of our feeling on how things were, whether that was a spectator, that was a gameplay mechanic or some a balance change or whatever. Um, and, and every once in a while, yeah, we would get a correspondence that would reference something. So we felt like pretty confident that, mm. Blizzard was watching this. They it wasn't like they were like, oh, people passionate about our game, cool. Um, they they respected kind of the conversation that was happening around it. Again, something pretty new for a development team to be able to tap into. Um, sure, they get all this data from like the back end on how people are playing, what race, how races are doing, unit usage, etc., uh, and then cross all, all different leagues. But this is the first time that there was like more human. Uh, a, a, a higher frequency of more human feedback, right? Don't, don't, don't forget too that a lot of the inbound feedback for like two years, the blizzard was not super productive. It was basically like add land. It's all we want. Just add <laughs> land. It's nothing else matter, you know? And, and I, I think looking back on that mini, People will tell you, yeah, that was probably not the best use of time, but I think also just went to show people cared about the integrity of the competitions. We had a few uh, infamous MLGs that went on for hours and hours and hours without the ability to play the game. Uh, that didn't make sense to a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the full range of of kind of communication and discussion with, with Blizzard. 
Okay. Uh, and, and to bring it back a little bit to the, the commentary, this is maybe 50-50 commentary question and, and uh, you know, Blizzard interaction question. You say like you didn't really, you know, find it necessary to, to step in and talk about balance, which I would agree with. Um, I wouldn't really be the one to, to ask about balance. And they didn't recently, so they're, they're still good on that part. They asked the players. But, and we talk about this a lot, I think, in all these sports, but, you know, the idea of balance versus like entertainment Right. So very the the cliche from Starcraft is that Immortal Sentry All In versus Brutal Infester was 50-50. So it's balanced, right? But it's, right. it's freaking terrible to watch. Right. Uh, so when, you know, it's it's a very important time in our in our lifespan here. Brutal Infester, uh, tail end of Wings of Liberty, that was hard. <laughs> hard to watch. How hard is it to commentate? Did you feel the effects of it? Did you feel the community starting to push back on it? I definitely, but I think that was a byproduct of like everyone knew Heart of the Swarm was going to come out and that you know, and then we've got Legacy of the Void beyond that. It's like just hold on a little bit longer. Uh they're not going to make sweeping changes before, right? The the new game comes out. So on, on some level, there were probably like the five stages of of dealing with that, right? The like denial, the anger, the grief, <laughs> the acceptance, and then the and then finally the the like the release because the game released and everyone's like, okay, now we've got something new that's totally not balanced that we can talk about and have discussion around. Um, I I do think that in the latter uh, portion of Wings of Liberty. That was probably the the toughest period overall for like viewers, players, right? The new game was coming out. You look at it now versus then, a lot more in the game. It it, it expands the the way that players can play, etc. Also, no one knew what to expect between expansions. So that was mm -hmm. kind of an unknown area. No one really wanted to uh, to, to try to guess what was going to happen in, in that situation. Um, I think from, from casting, I, I should probably be fully transparent. Like I'm, uh, I am and have always been, a uh, a Zerg lover. So <laughs> I, I may even have been called out for bias in the past as far as that's concerned. Um, but I, I, even I will admit that as a Zerg player, like, yeah, it's like, okay. Um, and, but you know, what was so funny about that time is you, you spoke a little bit about the times that we got excited about things is that I think that sometimes us casters would get genuinely hyped up when we thought, Oh, this might be it. This, this might be the way to break this and make, you know, like completely redefine the, the meta and very rarely it happened. So it was more or less like a building up anticipation for something that ultimately ended up in the same results. But I, I, I think you, you're right on in terms of identifying that as one of the sort of tougher periods of um, uh, maybe not tougher. I, I guess the right word to use would be stale, mm. right? Like things felt a little stale for a yeah, little yeah. bit. They did. Um, yes, there was a lot of complaints. I mean, I, I still get people coming in and be like, yeah, I quit because I was tearing and it was too, you know, brutal. I'm back here eight <laughs> years later. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> all right, then. Um, but uh, it was a drag for a lot of people. Now, I do sometimes wonder, and you're a perfect person to ask about this, if it wasn't just Bruce Infester, right? Um, 
not that StarCraft II was getting old at that point, because that's literally a year and a half into its lifespan, but rather that we had a couple of other games starting to pop up, like mm-hmm. League of Legends. So this right. starts around kind of the infamous uh, state of the game, or was it inside the game? <laughs> Destiny uh, control argument? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, inside the game, yeah. Yeah, so we were getting around kind of that period, but there were other games that were starting to show uh, a new path to, to esports and, and gaming future, if you will. Yeah. So were you ever, what was your perspective around that era when League of Legends was starting to be kind of talked about more often, you know, free-to-play games and skin customization? Because yeah. I feel like there was a gradual movement to that just being like, yeah, it's just video games now. But mm. I remember back then that that was still you know what you came in the box that's your game what are you talking about so what was your yeah. perspective on this uh gosh um i i hope we have enough time here because this is a this is like a really interesting thing like starcraft 2 suffers a little bit from a being ahead of its time right mm-hmm. in the era that it got released now on one hand here it was building off of a 12-year legacy brood wars amazing everyone's still playing it you know the korean pro gaming scene completely blows up boom here's the sequel uh, it, 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 it sparks esports again. It comes at the dawn of live streaming. Um, but clearly Blizzard didn't have all of the data that was going to help them make really informed decision for the next few years. Like for example, if free to play had hit the scene a little bit earlier, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, Blizzard mm. probably would have ended up going that way. And you look at Hearthstone and look at Heroes of the Storm and look at uh, the upcoming Diablo Immortal, right? Clear indicators that Blizzard's like, yeah, it's it's a pretty good model, right? And so I think on one hand, um, Blizzard kind of found themselves stuck, right? And And here's why that was terrible, because you had a ridiculous amount of passionate individuals that were ready to show their passion, not only in the hours that they were putting into the game, but by opening their wallets, right? I used to always say it was like one of my go-to arguments on Inside the Game. I would pay an unlimited amount of money to have capes to put on my Banelings, right? (laughs) Like it just would be adorable and I would love it and it'd be great. And so as you see League of Legends popularity, not necessarily because uh, uh, it was, right? It, the the reasons were a combination of it being a MOBA, that being new, it it having a pretty, you know, nice little graphical style that is improving off of Dota and Warcraft 3 and, and then yes, skins and all these different things. And I don't have to pay anything if I want to try this game out, right? So I do think that unfortunately, Blizzard probably was at a point with the game where it's like, if we pivot, we will bury our own game. So I think that they had to do what was going to be best for the longevity of the game. And unfortunately, that meant going forward with their original plan, not making it free to play, not adding in some of these other aspects that I think could have kept people interested and whatnot. Um, and, and of course, this was all then compounded by the confusion behind you know, well, why don't you have land, right? You've kind of got the foundation to make this exactly like other popular free-to-play games that are growing in, in popularity, and uh, but you're not quite there. I don't blame Blizzard for that, right? I think that had StarCraft II released a year later, it might have been a totally different uh, scenario and, and, and outcome overall. Um, so the way that I felt about it was... Um, 
you know, understandably, I came from Quake originally. It was sort of the game that got me into esports. And I still watch Quake 1 matches today. Are they for hundreds of thousands of dollars? No. Do do uh, 500 people still tune in because they love this game and they love the players? Yes. And to me, a game is not truly dead until no one plays it anymore, right? So I was coming from a place where it's like Quake 3 got released around the same time as as Brood War and you know people are still playing tournaments for it just like people are still playing Brood War in in, in tournaments and whatnot. Um so for me, I guess I automatically had uh this default feeling of even though I don't think this is the best way forward for StarCraft 2, it's clearly going to have a very long life because of the passionate community that exists around it. Maybe it lost an opportunity to grow a bit. And I think that's probably the downfall in, in all of that. Whereas like other games, I think kept growing. Um, we saw the, the audience numbers kind of, uh, uh, of, of hit a ceiling, uh, player numbers were definitely not as high as, as they were. They increased on expansions and whatnot, but I, I, you know, who do you, who do you yell at for that? Right. For Blizzard releasing a game as a industry was sort of shifting in that regard. So I didn't particularly like to get on the, like, you know, fuck you Blizzard train. I thought that that was not like that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that was pretty much my opinion and how I, I, I shared it overall. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think that I've I've said similar things actually. If it was released a year or two later or started development, you know, in 2010 instead of 2006 or whenever it was. They we're talking about a very different very different game. Um, yeah. Who knows, maybe they would have still been the old Blizzard mag- Blizzard Magic and they would have figured out a way to put all these things into an RTS, which sounds like it's still a very complicated ordeal for the people who have moved on to Frost Giant and yeah. they want to they want to do what Blizzard missed out on. You know, right. they, they think there is that that opportunity now that they can fix the things that went wrong in the past. It's like yeah. quantum leap, but for StarCraft. There, there, there's one other perspective that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. But in a world where that happened, there also might be uh, like it might have crippled esports a little bit because in some way. If you look back at the history, right, it was Street Fighter 4, League of Legends, and StarCraft 2 that really paved the way for esports in a live streaming environment. And, you know, Street Fighter 4 was very grassroots with all the other games around it, right? But StarCraft 2 was the one that partnered with groups to, to really start to step that production up. Like, let's start matching what uh OGN is doing and GOM is doing and let's let's bring that to the western world. And there's no doubt I've been in the room when these conversations that happened is that Riot w- was like we need to do what they're doing and do it even better, right? So in some ways StarCraft 2 really kicked off and an, like a, a spark that started a, a wildfire and it this this credit is definitely deserved with other you know counter-strike and, and all these other games but in 2009 specifically 
those were huge, huge, huge factors to the growth of esports. So had StarCraft released a little bit later, maybe Riot would have cared a little less about their esports because they mm. ne didn't necessarily have a competitor to compare what they could be doing to. And Street Fighter 4 would have then possibly blown up and everyone would have copied that and we'd be in a whole different world. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, we could go back and forth and probably – uh, is speculate about which way it would have gone. But I look at it as that even though Blizzard may have started that year, like kind of uh, ahead of themselves, what they ended up kind of paving for esports in a live streaming era was really quite amazing and, and impactful. Yeah. I, no disagreement there. Uh, unfortunately for us, <laughs> yeah. Starcraft did say a lot of what not to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Blizzard, yeah as a company has kind of been that a lot of, I mean, even Overwatch, uh, to, it feels like uh, Overwatch is like the Hitler of this podcast, you know, it, all the roads lead back to, <laughs> to Overwatch. Um, yeah. So yeah, but the, that also was something that Blizzard was going to strive to accomplish and be the, the leader on. And then now years later, people are like, Oh, well, probably wasn't what you're supposed to do. Let's, let's do it a different way. You know? Uh, uh, yeah, there was a, <laughs> There was danger in Riot being successful, right? Because suddenly it became essentially um, like a race, you know, a, like a space race, in, but in an esports race in a different way. Because if you look at the history, right, LCS kicks off. It takes a few seasons to really kind of fully develop. And... I think in Blizzard's mind, bringing that all in-house and creating WCS, um, I think that maybe that had a pretty bad impact on like overall grassroots. And so, you know, I, I think there is a different alternate dimension where what does this space look like if if all of the third-party TOs were still doing the circuits the way that they were doing it, that the WCS still existed, but it was like uh, not as emphasized as you know it was during a period of time where it's like your WCS event or you're not, and that's mm -hmm. that's kind of it. it. It worked for Riot, and and understandably so. But I think in some way, I felt like from a community perspective that we got something taken away from us in a way. And, and it's not totally true because like home story cup and a lot of like, uh, you know, smaller cups exist, but it definitely, uh, was a signal to some of the third party TOs that had brought so many great tournaments and series and circuits to us that they weren't gonna be able to do the same thing anymore. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think that if there was something that I felt was a bit flawed, when it came to to StarCraft 2 is I felt that, again, that was probably something that came a little bit too early. Like, I wish yeah. that the the sort of grassroots uh, environment that had been created, supported by Blizzard, supported by all the TOs, that that was just such a, a, a great time. And that bringing it in-house, which ultimately probably led to the Overwatch League, yeah. um, you know, that was probably in my opinion, one of the, you know, one of the, uh, I'm not going to say the worst thing to happen to the game, but it, it, I, I remember it hitting me pretty hard as a community member. Yeah. Even, yeah. You know? 
I think, um, again, at that time, there was kind of the idea of, well, if everything is coordinated by the same entity, then there might be like better pay and more organization and, and better scheduling right. and that type of thing, right? There was the benefit scene. Um, but yep. I, I do believe that hindsight uh, does say that, that that didn't work out. Um, so then it was surprising when Overwatch was like gung-ho in-house. Right. But now we have, even years later, we have Valorant kind of looking at it and being, Riot's Valorant, obviously, but still looking at it and being like, what if we do kind of both, you know, a little bit? Yes, um, yes, So continued, exactly. continued iterations, but again, kind of starting back with Blizzard being the first ones to, to try and, and put a, you know, a collar on this this really weird uh esports beast that had grown <laughs> yep. perhaps unintentionally from from starcraft but uh well not unintentionally they did design it as an esport <laughs> but anyways um you brought up one of the the sad things you know a disappointing time uh in your in your vision of starcraft uh i'm also interested if you thought that uh the the um hold on here <laughs> i have i have two korean related questions and i'm i'm conflating the both uh, if the region lock, there we go. If the region lock, uh, was ultimately a good idea, you were there from the beginning. You saw the wild west that was everyone just come together. And then the Koreans picked up on kind of not exactly free money, but more money in the West as well. Um, and they came in and then we saw the dominance that was it. And you just, you were there for all of that. So <laughs> now looking back on it, those years, what does it, what does it look like? Was it a good thing to region lock? Was it uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, I don't think so. Again, this is all opinion at this point. I don't have statistical data to back up. Should have gone one way over the other. I just, you know, when it comes to esports, one of the reasons why I think it is so special and so, uh, so like unlike traditional sports is that it truly is a global phenomenon. Now, does technology prevent us sometimes from pitting the best players in different regions against one another? It no doubt does. But I think that the region lock was like overcorrection in that regard. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, I, I I don't know what the solution uh, it, it was overall, but I do think that that introduced problems uh you know in terms of like what you mentioned some players coming over wh what region is this player in how are they going to deal with that this region is clearly much harder than this region this region's easier you know all of the things it's like that's not the kind of conversation that that you know you you want to have right you came to an mlg you came to an im you came to dream hack it's like if you were the best player there you you won but now suddenly there's layers to it. There's complexity. Well, they did win, but like this region's easy. And over here, you know, God, this is like the whole region. It's the region of death. How can you even compare it? And, you know, I always, I, I, I don't know if that, <laughs> there's no right way to root for esports, for e but I felt like it was, it compromised one of the things that made those live events so special, it's like, mm. oh, you know, so-and-so came over, so-and-so's going over, we've got a collection of the best players in the building. Um, and I think that it was needed for WCS the way they wanted to run. So to me, it's a part of like the whole package for WCS kind of missing the mark a little bit, I think mm. in terms of what it overall wanted to accomplish, you know, if it thought it was going to evolve Starcraft, 
it kind of did just not necessarily in the ways that I would agree with. And I, I think like that was the time when people would argue over the dumbest shit, right? Like again, like uh, the, the who, which region's the most strongest or why this is BS or, you know, they, the way that they played these games is mess. And like, no one, no one likes that because, uh, well, I, at least I don't, um, it, I think it, I think it actually creates more fractures in a community than, mm. uh, than anyone, anyone wants. Um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I this is your opinion, so yeah. you may have it freely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. Um, I, I definitely think it's it was a hard conversation to have, and I think it also, as you said, it was it was something that was necessary to talk about because of other things that had already gone wrong. So you know, to say that this was the thing to do and always will be the thing to do is completely incorrect. Um, there's there's a lot of yeah caveats uh, to it, but what I'm interested in from your perspective as a commentator uh, is that. There is no doubt that you, like Korean ver, Korean versus foreigners, all right, Koreans versus non-Koreans was the the talk of the town. It's mm-hmm. what brought in all of that viewership. When you were still a commentator or a host, you're still working um, the the StarCraft II life. Were you concerned about those types of things? Did you start to already say like, "Oh, viewership's a little bit down," or "This wasn't really what we were hoping for"? Or, God, I hope Huck gets to the finals because otherwise we're going to get like ten thousand people watching. Was there any of that or is that going to be happening later in StarCraft's career? Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty, uh, happy to say that, um, in most of the events that I participated in, I was further, I was far enough away from like needing to care about are the numbers this or are they that? And at the end of the day, I just wanted good games. I didn't care if it was between two newbies that showed up and were playing for the first time or two Koreans or create a European or a European and, and, and someone from North America. Right. Like I I think I just wanted, um, I, I wanted good games. You know what I got upset about? I'm just not the biggest fan of mirror matches, period. I don't know why. I just, it's like, so for me, my biggest fear is like, are we going to have a mirror match? Are we going to, you know, because I just always felt like, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for a TVZ all the time. So, um, Mm -hmm. but like we went through that period of time where it's like, oh God, like we have eight Protoss in the quarterfinals. (laughs) Like we're all screwed. You know, like that was, I think that was more, were there some, uh, you know, were there times where MLG was like, you know, we, we didn't have as big of an international turnout and, and the viewership is not as good, or this is the finals and the viewership wavered a bit. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure that that happened, but you know, as a commentator, I guess to me it is a lot less about the viewership and always like, are we getting the best we could possibly get from a competition perspective? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's kind of a side note. I don't think we really get into it, but that's what I was thinking of as to what I'm always talking with my chat about what makes like better spectating experiences, right? Because a lot of people come into StarCraft fans and like StarCraft 2 is the best viewing experience. And I go, yeah, I love the pacing of it, but you know, there's reasons why this other esport, CS for instance, is like so well loved. And then one of the things that I, I recently thought about was like, it is so unfair. In StarCraft, you get finals between two races. So regardless, someone 
is out of the picture and they take it very seriously. They might actually stop watching if there's no Protoss in the finals. Right. Because they're Protoss. And that just doesn't exist in a lot of the other esports, you know? Like even fighting games, I don't think there's that much attachment to the character that you usually play. Uh, that if, you know, Fox isn't in the finals, you're not going to watch it. So that that's really a difficult part. But this um, reminded me of a conversation I was having with, with Sir Scoots and he was like, you know, the storyline is the bomb in CSGO. And then I was like, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, you can kind of boil things down. How is the narrative created for for StarCraft events? And he he kind of, you know, was like, yeah, it's a real hard question because it's like, a, it's a hard game to, to pinpoint. But you being an excellent commentator, talking about story all the time, what was it for you? What what did you still boil all the StarCraft games down to that make people feel excited, even when their race wasn't in it, when their player wasn't in it, when their country wasn't in it, or when the games were actually maybe a little imbalanced? I, I think that it always uh, had to do with like pulling back further and further, right? There that 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 somewhere there always is a story to tell. It might not be in this exact game. Maybe the story to tell in this moment is the fact that if this person wins, it sets up this match, and so that's the story that you kind of elaborate on. Um, so I do think that um, you know I believe that Scoots is absolutely right. Uh, Starcraft can have like a moving target in regards to what the story is, and um, you know how you how you tell that story. Um, you know, sometimes it came down to joking about it, right? Like, I mean, there there actually were situations where it was a four-player semifinal between four Protosses, and you're like, strap in. If you don't like Protoss, this might not be the next, uh, the funnest next three hours or whatever. Um, so I do think that, right, from a caster perspective, really tried to always bring, like, the entertainment back to it. But I think, for me personally, how I would deal with that is... Um, you know, what does this mean for the larger picture, right? Is there a scenario where it's like this person could upset this one? Might we see a rematch if this person wins, right? So I think sometimes you had to pull yourself out of the game you're in because you're not going to fool anyone if like someone's got a clear lead. Like it's not going to be like, oh, he accidentally just GG'd and left the game. I, <laughs> what an unexpected surprise. So I do think that StarCraft uh, overall has a you know, a, a more difficult time uh, following the ball in that regard. And and that's actually one of the reasons why, like, some of the weekly NASL and even WCS kind of fell short because if you weren't telling the story about the game you were watching, but that was, like, the only game that was happening that night, you know, what do you, what are you talking about? Right. And then I think that's where people started losing some, you know, a little bit of, of interest overall. Uh, I'll tell you one of the, the, the funnest, um, uh, things that I recall, like kind of before the WCS era is obviously all the live events were fun, but we did the, uh, um, EG masters cup, which was right. Like a more, more, uh, Korean team kill type scenario. Here's some one-on-ones, here's some two V twos, right? Mix it up, get a little silly. Um, but again, that was another situation where it's like, if this game sucks in game two, that's okay. Because we've got these other three games we can speculate and talk about the story and what that means, et cetera. So I do think that a lot of times you had to pull out. Um, but to your point, it does happen in other games. 
I remember there was an era of Street Fighter 4 where like people just hated Rufus. Rufus was winning every tournament. And so if Rufus was in the finals, especially like a mere Rufus, people would be like, peace, I'm out. I really <laughs> do not care. I don't want to see it right there. Um, this also did happen in some regards in 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 CSGO early on. Ninjas in pajamas had like a 70 plus event win and people kind of got sick of it. We've seen it happen in quake when Rafa from e uh, team liquid, like kept winning tournament after tournament. And you know, when it got exciting is when someone finally beat Rafa and then it's mm. like, boom, not, but now the story that we've kind of been building on, like, can it happen? Can it happen? Can it boom? It, it finally happens. And we got plenty of that in, in, in Starcraft too. I think, I mean, there was a whole era of like, who's going to, who's going to possibly beat the Koreans. Like it's going to be impossible. Well, clearly we're in yeah. an era where it can happen. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that the future of RTS though, probably has some evolution to do in that regard. Um, yeah. if you look and, and use every game that, that you kind of mentioned, right. Whether it's counter-strike clear objective league of legends, Dota, clear objectives, right? It's a, it's a similar problem that like why no battle Royale has really blown up yeah. in the esports scene. Cause it's like, how the f do we tell this story? It's like, do you just have one game and then that's it? You win it and you're done. But and then of course the, the community's like, no, that is so lame. Like you can't determine a winner based off of one game. I mean, Fortnite couldn't figure out what to do with their championships. It's like, just have them keep playing over and over. So it's not unique, but I do think that, it prompts the need to reevaluate while keeping the integrity of what makes Starcraft great about Starcraft, right? Mm -hmm. What evolutions can it make in order to be a bit more spectator friendly about, by, but keeping the high level of competition, uh, keeping, uh, the, the players ceiling, you know, skill ceiling and, and, and that being limitless, right? Not an easy task to do. Certainly not the one that's going to do it. But I think like has gotten to a point now where that will make an, or break an esport for sure. Right. I mean, I didn't know about the uh, the Street Fighter thing. Um, so that that was actually really cool to learn about. I do. It does still suck though because even when we have um, you know, Serral winning all four of the WCSs back back a few years ago. You know, the, the question was a really cool question, like who could uh, unthrone the uh, dethrone the, the king? And some people were getting really tired with Cyril winning. But I think the the fact that, you know, the 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 race issue, which sounds really weird. But yeah, the race mm. issue is it feels detached, right? It feels like if a player is winning a lot, well, then anyone else could do the same thing. That player is not given any natural advantages. But when a race wins... That's like, you know, that was the natural advantage. You picked the race. So I, I think that's what really sucks in comparison to some True. of those esports. Yeah. Because CSGO, mean, it's like you're both terrorists and counter terrorists. Right, right. I would terrorists. definitely I definitely think that like the the Street Fighter one is more uh yeah, yeah. parallel to to that in terms of um yeah, in terms of it kind of being this is where character selection would get people to to disengage. And and yes, right. you're absolutely right. I mean uh, again, I think we all inherently as players, as fans, as spectators, we, like what's your favorite matchup to watch? Oh, Tan versus Erg. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you. I probably didn't like playing Terran versus Zerg as much, but I would watch it literally yeah. all day. Give me a Terran versus Zerg tournament. I'll do it. Like I played Zerg. 
cannot stand watching ZVZs, do not enjoy playing ZVD. <laughs> so everyone comes in with their own kind of bias in that in that regard. And it is pretty unique to to StarCraft. Like on one hand, I think that makes it, you know, something special. But on the other hand, yeah, that might be a problem that needs to be solved in some way uh in in, in you know in in the future. Yeah. Um and yeah, I I don't know how that'll happen, but neither do I. Neither do I. Imagine if it was four races, right? Like it's even worse. Um, yeah. it, it, it's actually a legitimate question. Absolutely. It will always be a point against StarCraft. It will be a point for StarCraft. I mean, this goes way deep too. We've talked to RTS developers about it, but it was just one of those things I was thinking of, which like, dang, there's like the the easy, the ease of, of viewership that some other esports have. Um, but my, uh, Last direct question, because I'm going to ask you some vague questions afterwards. But sure. my last direct question is, you know, speaking of these like these boring times or when the, the matchup isn't really according to the viewership's wants and needs, uh, at what point did you start just, was there ever a point where you acknowledged that comedy was really necessary? Where you went from like, ah, it's, you know, kind of fun, but I don't really, I'm not going to force it uh, to... Yeah, this is a really boring match. Let's try and really have fun. Let's like really joke around. Was there ever that period of time? Or was it natural? Because you guys already had such great comedians <laughs> in uh, the casting circuit. I gosh, I feel like I have a three part answer to this one. So first and foremost, I have to give so much credit to both plot brothers for, for this. You know, I think tasteless early on showed me, you know, I always enjoy I, I always took the the stance of like, listen. Gaming is fun, so you better believe it that I'm going to have fun when I'm commentating. Like, if you go back and and listen to even my old Quake 3 cast and, you know, the, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, that was, that was, you know, you, it, it needed to be entertaining, but also just because, like, it, it mirrored the community in a way, right? And people enjoyed it, and there was tactile feedback watching IRC and people laughing that, you know, at a joke you made. And and to me, I was like, hey, we have the ability to make esports whatever we want. Like, there's no reason why we need to be like, welcome to ESPN. It's now time for the next StarCraft II championship. You know, like, we don't have to do that, right? And and in some ways, we have the freedom to kind of... um you know, to kind of do it. So I always feel like early on in casting comedy was, uh, you know, something to lean on because it's what made esports unique. I think it was Nick who showed me, you know, in that like 2006, 2007 era that like you might be able to take it even one step further than, than you're, you know, than you'd want to. And 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 I trust me, I had a lot of fun with Nick and Dan over the years and for exactly because of sort of Nick's uh, approach and attitude and community timing and and setups and, and overall, I think that then I was very fortunate to be able to cast with, um, you know, with Sean, who I think I had a very natural chemistry with uh i i feel like was able to set him up for jokes and and things like that and and you know had some like natural game things happen that just sort of you know brought it but uh i actually love the balance that sean always brought which is like let's you know let's be we can be goofy but also like i'm gonna want to get really serious sometimes like great like this is awesome like that's passion let's go but then 
Then there was like a whole new element. This is part three, uh, the whole new element that was introduced. And I know, I know you can relate. Cause I know Jess, you've had some of those days where you've just been like casting all day, 10 hours have gone by, maybe 11, maybe 12. And you're just kind of like, your brain is just kind of like, fuck it. Like goofy mode initiated. Let's go. And some of the most memorable broadcasts, both for me and I think that, you know, people often refer to are those late night, like last games of the day. The banter in between games is just hilarious. It kind of seems like it's not that people didn't care. It's just people are like so ready to go home that just everything was kind of unraveling. Oh, I, uh, there I have a soft spot in my heart for when you hit that point of the day uh, because the day's almost over, but also it's just so much fun. I think everyone kind of knows like, yeah, it's been a long day, like just kind of let it go and let it out. But um, I hope that comedy and the lightheartedness and uh, frankly, just the fun of gaming continues to exist in the world of esports, and right now I don't see any reason why that's going anywhere. I mean, there's certainly some games that kind of choose to be a little bit more on the let's be ultra professional side, and while other games will obviously still lean a little bit more towards the entertainment comedy side, um, but I think right, it's probably a balance that you're always trying to master and achieve as long as some version of that fun comedy entertainment stays in esports. I'll be, I'll, I'll be very happy because I do think at the end of the day, right? Like pros might be playing us at the top level and, and you know, it is super serious, but like we play these games because we love them because we're having fun because we enjoy the experiences and the memories that we make with friends and family, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, why not keep that as a part of, of, of esports. So that's kind of where I sit. Yeah. I, I felt often dwarfed by the uh comedy of the uh the plot brothers <laughs> and you know Nick and uh, Dan together as well. Um obviously I was just I, I if I if I matched in controls level of comedy, I felt like I was like over the moon. You oh know? yeah. And I, I never assumed to beat him. Yeah. <laughs> I would never try. <laughs> but if I matched it, then I was really happy. So that's one of our, our most famous like clips together. Is I knew he was gonna throw me this joke and I reacted well enough that everyone loved it. And I was like, <laughs> freaking nailed it. I was in any controls level for one hot second. Uh... Um but yeah, that was a, it was a kind of one of those eye opening things where it, it did, you know, after he passed, it was kind of like there was a little bit of that comedy missing. Um, oh, a from, thousand percent. Yeah. I, and no yeah. one's, no one ever is going to reach that level, unfortunately. But I always think of it, you know, as the, the, you know, can I, can I add a little bit here? Can I, can I be a little bit of, of, of Jeff here? Um, and try not to go too overboard because I, I I wield comedy just kind of all over the place and I hit people all the time. <laughs> so trying to trying to you know contain it like like he did is definitely a goal it. of mine. Um, but anyways, so kind of on it's the same point though. Like, what is your what is the moment that you remember where you just like couldn't stop laughing? Like the funniest moment because I know there's also a lot of things that happen like in the green room, for instance. And I'm wondering if there's any PG. Uh, uh, yeah, PG is the the important uh, the important part. Oh my gosh! Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think everyone knows that's a StarCraft fan that's ever watched Sean, but he has a super infectious laugh. 
<laughs> and um, I can't even remember what event it was at. Um, it was definitely, you know, during an event, there's some delays. And of course, everyone knows that it's like, yeah, just, just, just fill some time. It'll be all good. And during one of these times, I, I think it was a situation of some joking was happening in the green room. And that was brought back up in a live capacity. So there was this moment where then Sean started laughing about it. And then I was laughing and no one really had any idea like what was going on. Um, and I just like, it was some, it was some kind of silly, uh, you know, moments like that, that I think were just, uh, yeah, I, I, one thing that is so hard is that I didn't ever not have fun when I was doing start. Like I always feel like, when it came down to all the different casting groups I've had a chance to, to work with all amazing in their own rights, there was always something like, I just knew I was about to walk into a weekend of magic when I got a chance to, to, to really, you know, to cast with, with some of the greats in Starcraft too. And it was like an honor and a pleasure every single time. Like, I don't ever think it made a game boring. Um, I don't ever think it made an event feel long. Uh, so I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh man. I, you know, I feel like the statute of limitations is probably over on this one, but I, uh, dude, there is, man, there's a, I, you know what? I, I, there's a story. I think it was MLG rally and it involves some brownies that a player brought. <laughs> <laughs> you heard this one stop me if you've heard this one no i'm going all in jess I'm, it's... <laughs> all right listen 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 so a fan brought pain user a oh, bunch okay. of brownies right of course pain users like fan brought me brownies i'm like hey you know just just oh, doing my God. doing my diligence and psa like you know do you trust this person pain user? Like, do you know who this person is? Because they could be poisonous. It's like, no, man, they're, <laughs> they're definitely THC brownies. And it's like, okay. Mm. You know? Um, so, you know, pain user, uh, a great guy. He, uh, he's a sharer. So he handed out some, some brownies. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, uh, uh Three recipients of those brownies were tasteless, artosis, oh, no. and noni. <laughs> and let's just say, Jess, like these brownies were, they were edibles for giants, as in oh. they were so potent that this is not the first edible that a person should ever eat. Like you're going to have a bad time. And those three guys had a pretty bad time. And I actually hate myself right now because I'm laughing at their misfortune. But I think even now they got to be laughing about it. It was about the funniest thing I've I've ever seen uh, because uh, like these brownies were they were whew, they were super powerful. 
And let's just say that those three didn't have much experience in that realm. So um, I've never laughed harder. It still brings a smile on my face. Gentlemen, I love you so much. I hope you don't hate me for that. But it's, you know, this was like a part of the magic that existed as I got to experience all these things in game, out of game. You know, like I I just and I've never, ever, ever heard another story of like a fan bringing a player, uh, you know, brownies and whatnot. So I just. The whole thing was just a comedy of errors and, and hilarity. But uh, I remember actually being with with Sir Scoots and we went over to like a hotel room and walked in. It's like, what's, what's going on with the guys? Like, is everything OK? Is there anything that we could do? And pain user had to explain it all to us. And we were just like, oh, no. But uh, needless to say, I think they both missed their flights the next day. So <sighs> gotcha. Sorry about that. Boys. Yeah. Um, was this 2011 rally? I, I it 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 must have been yeah. Um, that that was one where like WCS was on the side and like Scarlet Vibe was in the finals of that one. Um, just like that's the only thing I know differentiates it between that and 2010, I think, uh, or 2012 actually. Maybe it was 2012. <laughs> the point is like you you brought this up and I just like I was like oh god because I remember actually I think it was 2012. That's when that Leenock won. Um. So if that's if that's the one <laughs> that might have been it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 OK, yeah. so yeah, 2012. I went to that one. That was my first event. I had like convinced my parents that we'd all drive down together and, and see it. And then I was going with a bunch of my uh, friends that I made in the community that were also big brood war elitists. So that's how I got into that. <laughs> but I remember we all it was like a humongous uh, uh, meeting room that someone had had rented out in the hotel. So we had like a 40 man mafia game because mafia was the biggest thing in Starcraft right. communities back in that day. Uh, and so it was like, we eventually like got two rooms and like, you know, divvied it up. But I remember one of my friends came in, um, and he just sat down and he had a pie on his lap and he just like started eating it with a fork. And we were like, what's, what's up with you? Like (laughs) what happened? And he was like, ah, I'm just like really hungry, dude. And then we found out later that he had being a part of a group of people that like had wheat brownies it, it was probably a paid oh user God. fan brownie oh my oh gosh my God. full circle look I at know, that right? look Louise. at that unbelievable oh that was crazy that was crazy. That was so funny um <clears throat> yeah because i think actually pain user might have even joined in on the, on the mafia <laughs> at some point <laughs> but geez oh. louise that is a that is a good time i mean i always wonder like as you said like the statute of limitations is, is it up for some of these things but I mean, some of these things are so hard to explain, like they're the reason that they're so hysterical. Like I've tried explaining, like Nate was getting a a hair, um, his haircut. He was getting the makeup and hair done and he had uh, a little bit of a stash. And then Rosa like swiped his hair to like the left and he looked like Tobin Maguire in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> but but then he all but then with like kind of like a stash. So he controlled just like looked up from his phone and he kind of like smiled to himself and he was like, You look like Edgar Allan Hitler. And then he like went back to watching on his phone. And we just could not stop laughing. And so if it got brought up on the on the broadcast, we would just like be holding our mouths. Exactly. So <laughs> you you've been there too, or sometimes the behind the scenes would seep into right, and uh, there the Reddit thread. Does anyone get this joke? Does anyone, oh, this is the lore behind it, etc. So yeah, 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 yeah. It really was. I mean, you know, just it's like what people see in that world is a lot of you know. That's exactly what everyone got behind the scenes, you know. Um, and uh, 
there was just always a lot of authenticity and and genuine people and still are obviously in in starcraft one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite you know types of events to cast and groups to cast with etc uh like i said something something magical something special about it um <laughs> yeah uh so you cast um you cast the halus right yeah yeah and you cast the uh, the gg um yeah. 1v1 which which was the funnier moment in your 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 soldier brain um oh my gosh well it's like on uh, um uh i think when i look at the reaction overall the mma idra game was funny because literally Sean and I were just speechless and that you're talking about two guys that have zero issue filling air. And we were just like, do we need to check on someone like see what, right? <laughs> I think they, so I look back on that and I think it's hilarious. I actually think the hallucination was, was heartbreaking in a lot of ways because it was just like, you know how it went down and then how uh huck approached it in the next game like you know you know that those were hallucinations and idra wasn't having it and that was like a full tilt moment like it, it's kind of rare when you're sitting on the caster desk and you you know because like things happen in esports like yeah you, you feel bad for some players like sometimes things happen but it's like it's it's a tournament like it it, it is a game these things happen but I, I was like, oh my gosh, like my heart breaks for Idra here a little bit. And on the flip side, I'm like, Huck, you goddamn genius. Like, you know, only you would be able to to pull this off. And and I think Huck was always trying to, you know, bring his personality into the game and and make that a, a part of the whole package. And he did it right there, right? So um I think the reaction to MMA Idra was definitely the funniest. Uh, again, like you're not going to find another moment where Sean and I are, are like speechless the way that we were. Uh, the the hallucinations, looking back on it, it's kind of amazing. But I remember at the time just being like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, like when you, when you, when you, you know, you watch like a skateboard video and, and someone falls and you're just like, oh, and you kind of cringe a little bit like, ah, I bet that hurt a lot. Like I, that, that was the physical manifestation of, of feeling that GG because of some hallucinated void rays. It was really bad. It's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard that perspective. <laughs> I, I think at the time I was a, I was a Zerg fan and an Idra fan. So I was just like crushed. <laughs> I was like visibly crushed. Cause I also figured he was going to lose the series afterwards, which I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. You know, he got tilted. Um, but yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I know you weren't the only ones that were speechless. I mean, literally, I remember a clip of that, and then they panned to the crowd, and the crowd is also like, Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they were people with their hands on their heads, and like, what is what's going on? Is was this a mistake? Did he actually win? Like, you know, and yeah, yeah. The, the whole game was just it was like set up to. I mean, you'd almost think it was scripted with MMA killing his command center and then like the fight. And if we were just like, oh, my gosh, yeah, Edra won this one. Like, great. And then just the GG. It was like, <laughs> what? It was. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen such a, a punchy moment, you know? Yeah. There's so many, so many good moments in that game. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the question I'll ask you today. Thank you very much for coming back on, sharing some of your experiences with um 
with StarCraft and some of the perception as well, since we've been able to witness the rise and fall. Uh, even though it's not dead, I'm not saying that, guys, but it's it definitely was. It was the top of the world in 2011, 2012, and it's definitely been beat out uh, by other esports at this point. But it's yeah. great looking back on it. I yeah. really wish that there was a comprehensive history of esports feel like we're going to get historians in the future. Yes, that would be nice. Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think each individual game could have its own little encyclopedia. <laughs> the esports as a whole, because they're also so intertwined, regardless of how separate we think they are, right? How many, like, if you think about, I know that it's tough when you see all of these other esports that have just excelled, that have grown. Dota's given away millions of dollars, and you know, like it, it's it might feel a little bit like StarCraft didn't make it, but you still can't forget about the legacy that this game has, right? And in in the same way that um, other Blizzard games have, right, brought an audience back to its core, like I. I don't think anyone should feel like StarCraft won't, you know, find mm. its spot again, right? It, it is it is an incredible game in a world where maybe like games and mechanics have changed, but it again, it has a legacy. It has a fan base that won't ever forget about it, that will continue to grow. It'll have its time again. Maybe that's StarCraft 3. Maybe it's StarCraft five. Maybe it's a whole different RTS, right? But I think that the spirit of StarCraft will always live um, in in some way, shape, or form. And so don't give up hope yet, everyone. Um, you know, StarCraft had an enormous impact on live streaming, on uh, other esports that are successful today. Uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the undying passion of of fans. And so just keep loving what you love and and uh, I believe it'll happen. Yeah, I would really hope so. Yeah. I mean, no one knows what the future will hold, though. Right. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to figure it out together. We got the CEO making some cryptic tweets. We got uh, Frost Giant about to show us, uh, you know, that it's that uh, they have some stuff brewing. Yep. No, no NDA break in here, but stuff's yeah. a brewing um, and even Dreamhaven, you know, in the future. So it's it's kind of cool in that perspective. We have so many of the people that I think we really liked and knew were good people and uh, passionate people about like RTS that are still very much involved in video game creation. Yeah. Um, just uh, not necessarily a blizzard nowadays. Which is yeah. 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 That's that is true. It may not be in the form of Starcraft, but I like I said, I think like the spirit of that game is still it's still there. It's why I can't like watch League of Legends without thinking about original Dota. It's just no matter what, like that will not be a separation I'll ever make. So uh, yeah. everything inspires everything else in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, Starcraft will will always live. It's a beautiful part to end on i think so thank you again dj you. wheat for coming on uh are you still doing the uh the looking over all the old vods in the morning i i am uh we're we're a couple behind it's actually really interesting that one of the things we talked about was the whole starcraft 2 how are people feeling about it because we've gotten to the point now uh we're like episode 15 or 16 and that conversation is starting mm. to spin up more and more 
so uh, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. We got through kind of like the early time. There's a few mentions of like, oh, the beta is going to come out. I think we're about to hit the BlizzCon where we get to see a little bit more. And then uh, you know, I'm I will if anything funny from like that old time, right? Like you got to listen to this argument. I'll make sure that I ping you on it because. Uh, even some of the initial conversations have been a little funny, especially like slasher gets in on them. Uh, but you can kind of see where it's going. Like, is this a baby's game? Are people going to hate it? Will the Korean <laughs> scene embrace it? You know, so I'll let you know, because we're getting to kind of some of the juicy stuff. That would be amazing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's happening in your stream. So check it out, guys. And uh, thank you for watching, as always. Actually, it's a... Uh, this went so much faster uh, than I even expected. So it's, it's still one of the longer episodes, but had a blast. So I need to get my my outro prepared. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, thank you to everyone who listens and watches on YouTube. Patreon's patreon.com slash zombiegrub. Uh, thank you to Shane for co-producing this podcast and Barrett for also helping to organize and produce. And thank you to all the Patreons and the uh, $10 tier and above, I believe. Nick, Vinny, Steven, E.T., Ruby, and Cuddle Bunny for your continued support. I hope to see you back here for episode 53. Bye, guys.